Welcome! I'm Roxanne Spring, your personal midwife after hours, celebrating and promoting wisdom and power in pregnancy, birth, and beyond. I'm so delighted to have Mary Lou Copas with me today. She received her bachelor's in biology from Colby College in Maine and her bachelor's in science and her master's in nursing degrees in nursing from the University of Washington, Seattle. She's currently the chief of UW Medical Center Northwest Midwives Clinic. She served on the board of the Washington State Affiliate of the American College of Nurse Midwives, that's ACNM, and currently serves on the management committee of OB-COPE, a statewide obstetric quality improvement consortium. Mary Lou's particular interests in midwifery include breastfeeding support, psychosocial challenges in pregnancy, and optimal care strategies for second stage of labor. She's presented on second stage labor at the Regional Conference of the Association of Women's Health Obstetric and Neonatal Nursing, that's A1, conference, and at the American College of Nurse Midwives, ACNM, national meeting. Mary Lou is published in the Journal of Midwifery and Women's Health with her review of second stage labor. Mary Lou Copas, I am so delighted to have you with us today. Thank you for being here. Happy to be here. Thank you for doing this. It's flattering that you wanted to interview me. Well, of course. Okay, so for one, you're the first time we're interviewing a hospital-based midwife, and okay. you are actually the lead midwife of the practice. Yep. And so we have lots to talk about. Tell me about your pathway to becoming a midwife. So it's a little hard to explain. I came to it later in life. I, I studied biology in college, biology with an environmental science concentration. And then I went right into um, a PhD program in biological oceanography, and I was going to be a scientist. And that was, gosh, probably through all my high school years, if not before. That's what I wanted to be, was a scientist, biologist. And I got a ways into grad school and realized that um, I didn't want to be a scientist, that all this stuff was really interesting, and I liked learning about it and knowing about it, but I didn't want to spend my whole life focusing on a tiny little piece of this whole interesting world. And it's funny, because I went to college with people, a lot of the bio majors were pre-med, and they were definitely not my people. And I remember I worked... I was a lab TA for the chemistry class, and I remember the woman who was teaching that was saying, do you want to go to med school? Because basically what she was saying is, you're smart. You should go to medical school. I was like, no, I have no interest in that. It's like applied science, and all those people who are uptight about their grades going to med school are just not my people at all. And, um, and of course, lo and behold, here I am in medicine. <laughs> sort of in healthcare, but anyway. Um, so I left grad school and I traveled for a while and then I worked for, I wanted to do something that was more impacting on some of the problems of the world. So the project I was working on in, in grad school in my lab was about the coastal ponds in Rhode Island and the pollution from um, septic systems and the nitrates that were causing eutrophication in the ponds there and how that was affecting the communities. and. We were doing um, some physical ecosystem models that we were building, which is pretty cool. And I realized that I really liked doing that physical work. Um, and But I really wanted to do something that was more sort of like helping people in a real, like, tangible way. I just felt like this was like, science was like the slow track to, like, we know what's wrong. We need to change the world. And so I worked, I joined this environmental organization called MassPerg, and I worked for them for couple of years 
and I, I learned how to do um, organizing and campaign work and um, that was kind of a, a really fun but really intense place to work. Like they had this real culture of all these young people who are right out of college working incredibly long hours for low wages and it was all sort of like, you know, it wasn't cool to question that, you know. And some of us started to question and were like, well, we're not really being treated that well. <laughs> we're working with this organization that's supposed to be trying to help consumers and the environment. Um, anyway, and I started to figure out like, like, I don't know that this is what I want to do and what do I want to do? And I don't know how I hit on midwifery, but I know that my sister had a baby with a midwife when she was like 19 years old. 19, 20 years old, and she was by herself. She was a single mom, and she was in Western Massachusetts near Springfield. And um, I think that's the practice that became Bay State, which is actually kind of a well-known um, practice now that's pretty progressive that trains a lot of CNMs. And she was a solo CNM in this hospital, and she just saw her own clients and and I guess her only backup was the OBs if she couldn't be there but she just you know was a solo and um and my sister really spoke highly of her and I think really made a difference in her like you know becoming a good mom and you know going through having a baby come here Bobby come here leave it alone no and I remember sorry John can you pick up the dog she used to talk about her, how she would walk down the halls of the hospital and she had these like suede boots that came up to her knees with tassels on them. And she used to see her walking down the hall and she just saw people looking at her like, that can't be crazy. I mean, she thought she was really, she didn't care. She was really cool. Um, and, you know, my sister was like, you know, single mom at 19 and, and, you know, she really was an attachment parent. You know, she slept with her baby and she breastfed and, um, and she kind of taught me about attachment parenting when I became a mom. Um, and I think she probably got that partly from, from a good friend of hers and partly from that midwife. But maybe she saw a midwife because of that friend of hers. But um, anyway, so she talked a lot about that. And maybe that's how I hit on it. But I was trying to figure out how to combine this, like, sort of, like, I really liked working with people is one of the things I realized doing this organizing and that I really liked doing things that were sort of, like, immediate and physical and, and not just, like, sort of sitting at a desk all day. And um, and I kind of hit on midwifery, and I just started reading about it. And I, I know this is corny, but I think spiritual midwifery. I went to the Boston Public Library, and I got, I went to their little birth section, and probably read most of the books they had there, but the first one was spiritual midwifery. And the more I read about it, the more, because I was like, I don't even know what birth is about. I should learn about this, see if I'm interested. And I just kept reading about it and just became fascinated and thought about, do I want to be a licensed midwife or a nurse midwife? And I spent a lot of time debating that. In Massachusetts at the time, it was illegal. They didn't have a licensure. They do have licensure now. And, um, so I didn't like the idea of not having, you know, not having any, because um, it was it was always tenuous whether you could have you know, practice insurance, whatever, and and it just seemed like the CNM route was the way to go if I was going to put some energy into this and go to school, and that was the way to do it. Um, so, so I I was I did prerequisites in Boston. I was going to start school at Penn that had a master's entry program, ended up accidentally conceiving our first child, so stayed in Boston for that, had him, started back to school at, in Boston at the, at the UMass where I was doing prerequisites. And the, really the only program in Boston at the time was at BU, which was an MS program. Mm -hmm. um, but so I was working on, you had to get a, you had to have a, nursing degree first. They didn't have the entry programs. Mm -hmm. So I was working on that. And my husband is actually from Seattle. And I had hit on like University of Washington started, they had recently started having a CNM program and wanted to go to Seattle anyway. And I was like, well, they have a CNM program, so I should go there. So finally went there. Sort of had another kid in along the way there. So it took me a long time between 
this is what I want to do to doing it. <laughs> well, after I had the first child, I had like six months with him, and then I thought that was plenty of time. And then I realized I didn't like. I went back to school, and it was okay when I was in school, but when I started doing clinicals where I had to be gone all day, I really didn't like leaving my baby. He was fine. I had a, I had somebody, a sitter, who came and stayed with him, and he was happy with it, but I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he took his first steps with the sitter, and, you know, maybe yeah, she right. shouldn't have told me that, but he did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... So I took a quarter off and thought, well, see, I'll feel torn the other way. And I didn't feel torn the other way. I just thought I just, I'm just, I didn't think I was somebody who wanted to be home with my babies for a while, but I did want to be home with my babies. So I said, well, let's just have another baby. We're going to have two. Get that out of the way. And then I restarted school. Well, I, I kept my toe in things. I did volunteering for hospice. Mm. And I also worked like a couple four-hour shifts a week for um, a group, or uh, it was a company called Mother Mother Care that did postpartum doula work. Mm. And that was really satisfying because, you know, when you have kids, like taking care of a newborn is like a piece of cake. You go to somebody's house and like make a meal and hold their newborn while they take a nap. And it's like, they're like, you yeah. just saved their life, you know? Because <laughs> like, you did. Yeah, for me, I got a, I got a two-year-old and a four-year-old at home. Um, so I kind of kept my toe in, in that, in those ways. And then when they were seven and nine, I went back to school. Mm -hmm. I, I remember I realized I would know when I wanted to go back full time. And I realized that I was going to turn 40. And I thought if I turn 40 and I'm not back in school doing this thing, I'm going to be really depressed. <laughs> so I like got things in order and, um, started back to school. My kids were seven and nine. And then they, they felt like they were old enough. They, they did some after school care and they were fine. They understood that mom had, he's trapped. Mom had homework too. Mm -hmm. um, so it was kind of about a 20 year period really from, I think I wanted to be a midwife to actually being a midwife. It was quite um, a journey. <laughs> it was quite a it journey. It was a journey. Yeah, it was a journey. It was, <laughs> um, yeah, and I, uh, I went to the University of Washington, and that was before they had the master's entry, so I did the BSN over two years, and then I paused and worked as a labor nurse there. I had been a volunteer and a nurse tech, which is a nursing student job at the, at the L&D unit at UW, um, and I could take some classes non-matriculated um, mm -hmm. for, it was really cheap because I was a UW employee, mm -hmm. and then a couple years later, I matriculated into the um, master's program. They still had a master's program there, and I finished it. So, um, yeah. And I, I never, you know, I never regretted it. I was like, once I hit on what I really wanted to be when I grew up, I just, it just felt right. Mm -hmm. Just never, never seemed wrong. And I didn't really feel underconfident in clinicals and stuff. I always just felt like, just, just let me do it. Just let me do it. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, um, I remember one of the, the nursing supervisors when I was volunteering at the at the postpartum unit. She was like, "I really like the way you like you hold babies. You just have this confidence. You know what you're doing." I'm like, "Well, I'm a mother. It's <laughs> make a deal." Um, but you know, when I was in clinicals, and um, I remember I was with Sally Abramson, and I love Sally, but like, you always had to like, "Please, can I do a vaginal exam?" No, because she didn't always feel comfortable letting you do it. And she didn't do very many. And she was like, well, I'm going to do this one. And anyway, I was just so eager to do stuff. And I'm like, I've seen enough people doing stuff. I want to do it. So I didn't really, yeah, I, I always, I always felt like I was in the right place and I just had a lot to learn, but I didn't feel like, oh my God, can I do this or whatever. It just, just felt like it was a, it was hard to parent and go to school, but I felt, you know, it was a finite amount of time. Mm -hmm. And I got through it. And I actually worked through grad school, too. I worked 50%. Um, but it was a finite amount of time, you know. Right. It was like two years. Where it was longer than that, it would have been really hard. So. so when you were first entering, did you already have in your mind the setting that you'd want to practice in? and what, Or, or when did you decide? No, I mean, I sort of, you know, I, I, did, um, I did a few different hospital clinicals. And I kind of had this idea deal of doing 
uh, community birth. And so it wasn't like I was against doing hospital birth, but I sort of wanted to do the births I liked best were home births. And, um, but I didn't want to just set up shop and start on my own. I felt like I wanted a mentor. I wanted to work with somebody. Um, I just didn't feel, I mean, I have a friend who did that and you probably did that too. And that's what a lot of these licensed midwives do. And I don't know why I didn't feel, I didn't feel comfortable doing that. I felt like I need, I need a mentor. So I looked around for a bit for jobs and it was hard. It was hard to find, um, I came this close to working for Rainy City, mm-hmm. and um, and I don't know what went wrong. You know, we, we kind of had this idea. I don't know. I think there's always this ideal of like combined CMM LM practice, and for whatever reason, it doesn't usually work out. Um, and you know, I had this idea like I can do like like IUDs and birth control and pap smears and my woman stuff and like you know. And I, you know, I had this, you know, I want to get paid this much, which is a lot less than I can make in the hospital, but let's just reevaluate after a year and see how much billing we get in, because I think you're going to get some billing from what I can do. And, um, and I really liked their practice. Anyway, and at some point, Beth just said, well, she couldn't pay me that much. It was like, it was more than she was paying Lynn. It had been like really experienced. And I was like, well, I'm like asking for like half what I could make in a hospital. So I actually, like, I got a job initially with the UW group doing per diem, and they had done that before they'd hired new grads as per diem. And then still had my 50% nurse job that I held on to until I got a full-time midwife job. And then I started a, a private um, practice doing, like, non-birth care. And I rented a day a week at the Center for Birth. Mm-hmm. And so I got some clients from Rainy City and some of the other LM groups there. And um, and I was I would just do like their birth control and their PAPs and their well woman stuff. And or, you know, like they had a pregnant woman with UTI or something, they would mm-hmm. um, give me stuff. And so I did that for a day a week. It, and I did that for over a year but it didn't make any money and I really just you need I needed to do that full time if that was going to work and what I really wanted to do was birth so it wasn't even that it I mean it was fun I had some clients that I met there come and seek me out where I've been in other practices because you know they just said that that was like you know the best experience they'd had in their medical office because you know I had visits like an hour apart and I would just like do whatever they wanted to talk about or do whatever they wanted to do and um, the midwife no care. You did the midwife yeah, care. Yeah, exactly. I see like well five woman. or six people a day, and yeah. I could do whatever they needed. And they were like, "Oh my God, here's somebody who like wants to talk to me and wants to like, and you know, is going to do a gentle pelvic exam." You know, um, as one of the people who sought me out afterwards, and she she had had a home birth and a kind of traumatic hemorrhage afterwards, so she wanted a hospital birth, but she was really terrified of medical stuff. Mm-hmm. and said that that was the first pap smear that she had done that was tolerable for her. And so she came to see me for her pregnancy um, when she had another baby. Um, anyway, so that was satisfying. But So I had those three gigs going at once, and then they didn't have any per diem when UW moved to Northwest, and they, their numbers went down. The hospital was like, you can't do any more per diems. So they didn't have a job for me, so... Valley had a job where I had done my integration at Valley, and so they called me and asked me to apply. So I, there's a truck going by. Um, so I took a, a job at Valley, and I really liked it there. Those were like my midwife mamas because I had done my integration my last two quarters there, and um, learned a lot there. And then when Northwest had an opening. Sachiko was working there. I don't know if you said no, Sachiko. Oh, yeah. Um, Sachiko left and she called me up and said, I'm giving my notice. You should take this job because you're already. They'd kept me credentialed there and I'd filled in a couple of times when Michelle Brandy was like going to India or something. I'd done a couple of calls. Um, and actually, when I had done one of the calls, her, the student she had was Deborah Blue and they hired her at the same time because Bonnie Bernstein was retiring. 
And I love Deborah. Deborah and I spent one night together out of the blue because I was doing a call shift and she was on with Sachiko and I came for the night and she stayed on with me and we just like talked all night and I loved her. And I was like, you know, if you're hiring her, <laughs> this will be perfect. <laughs> and I still love her. I still, I mean, I love all my partners, but I do love Deborah. Um, she was a Seattle U grad. Anyway, so I've been there, ever since, that was 2014. And the only reason I really wouldn't have, wouldn't have stayed at Valley was the distance. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, the cool thing about Valley was um, I really loved my partners and we had a lot of independence and we had a lot of diversity of patients. We had a lot mm -hmm. of like low income folks, we had a lot of Medicaid, we had a social worker in our clinic full time. And so we could like meet the needs of people. It was a really good setup. And, you know, Valley's a community health hospital and um, it's, you know, public health of South King County doing mm -hmm. business as Valley Medical Center. And so they really had a public health mission uh, that they supported with that. The practice has since been totally messed up. They've, they've made some stupid changes in it. Um, but anyway, it was, I was commuting. I live in Northeast Seattle and I was commuting down there. And mm -hmm. It's a busy enough practice that you'd be up all night, and then I would just come north and hit the traffic, and I would just be like falling asleep mm -hmm. in the car. Mm -hmm. So now I'm like a mile and a half from the hospital, <laughs> and I take calls from home. It's yeah. pretty nice. Yeah. Um, it is a different population though. When I when I first got here, I kind of missed the the typical Valley patients because our typical patient here is like you know 35 to 42 years old college educated, white, and having their first baby. Mm -hmm. um, and those people need good care too. Absolutely, <laughs> but absolutely. <laughs> so um, yeah, and, and it is a group practice model. So that's what you've always practiced in. And that's what I had it, yeah, that's what I had at Valley. And I, you know, I like that because you can, you can have time that you're off. And, um, you know, people, for, you know, for the most part, you get to meet the patients and the patients get to meet you. Um, and you know, we had five midwives when I started now we have seven mm -hmm. and that used to feel like too big, mm -hmm. too many, it was like too many. And now I'm like, it just feels fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think the ideal is like three, you mm -hmm. know, in terms of like knowing the patients well, um, like a small practice like that and doing third call. Um, but you know, we're doing like 25 to 30 births a month can't do that with three people no so mm -hmm. so I mean for my vision of what we are doing is that most people are giving birth in the hospital and most of the care in the hospital is just inhumane and you know our mission is to you know bring midwifery care to people who are birthing in the hospital and ideally I'd like to bring it to everyone who doesn't even know that they want it. Um, I don't think that UW Medicine makes that easy for us. Mm. Um, I'm going to plug my computer. In. Hang on a second. Sorry. No. My computer. They, we must, we must have juice. <laughs> juice is necessary. Um, so the, um, yeah, go ahead. You're saying no, that the just, hospital doesn't saying, like, I, um, I feel strongly about having, um, trying to make the experience in the hospital as low tech as it needs to be. And just having all that stuff that we need around us, like the OR and the epidural and all that, but it's not staring people in the face that we kind of bring that in as we need it. Um, and you know, I have my friend who started a home birth practice out of grad school. She, she graduated the year after me. I, um, I helped her out a bit when she was new on her own. I thought it was really gutsy that she did that. And so I would go to some births with her and be her birth assistant just to sort of give her moral support. And uh, it was fun. And I remember somebody was like, her labor really stalled. And she was like, I don't know, she was like six or seven. And it just stalled. And she went to this... She went from home to the birth center and that's where it stalled and we're doing all of these things and like time and all this time goes by and, and I'm just like, there's some Pitocin here. Can't we just, can't we just give her that? And she finally had to take her to the hospital and I thought, 
Oh, well, that's kind of a bummer. Because hmm. she has to, like, care her to somebody else who, mm-hmm. you know, isn't mm-hmm. going to care for her the way she wants to. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's the downside of being out of the hospital, you know, is well, mm-hmm. having to give away your patient to someone else when, um, you know, just because they need something like that. Like, she just needed a little nudge. Seriously. I thought I have it in my mind and I'd like you to describe, is there a transfer pro I understood that there was a good transfer policy from licensed midwives in the field to, um, but is it to the doctors there at Northwest or do Um, they come through? To the doctors and the midwives. Actually, we take, we take transfers from community births, which is, I think really nice service for people. And, um, and people seem to really appreciate that. Um, so, um, and then other people who have stage arrest. We have, some, we have some protocols. Like if they're, you know, if they're beyond 42 weeks, if they're beyond 24 hours rupture, if they're second stage arrest, those are things that we give to the OBs. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of at our discretion. Um, and, you know, sometimes if I'm, if I'm busy, if I have like, I'm inducing someone, I have someone in labor and I'm like, I'm not really going to be able to give her much attention. Then sometimes we turn it down, but we do take a lot of transfers. So I think that's nice. The thing that you don't have that we should have, and this is, should be fixable, um, is for the community midwife, she may want to come to Northwest. She may want to transfer her patient who needs just an induction because she's post-dates or she's been ruptured for a while and isn't going into labor or her blood pressure's up or something. Um, and then we may not be able to take that because the, the hospital right now is getting pretty busy. And if it's a busy day, we'll take our patients, but we can totally turn down. So I may even have time to see, like I don't have someone in labor and I could take this person, but the unit is busy enough that the charge nurse says, no, we can't take them. So there's not, you know, you, you know, when it works, it works, but, you know, when you're at the point of transferring someone, then you're like, oh, I'd like to go here, oh, but they can't take them, so I have to go here, or maybe here, and that's that's just not great care. It would be really nice if there was a, you know, a system where, you know, you know, we have, it, you know, this is the hospital that's going to take these, these patients, mm-hmm. and you just have that relationship, and it's going to happen. And it, you treat them the way you do our own patients, where no matter how busy are, we are, we're going to take our own patients. That would serve clients better. And it would serve clients better, you know, if their midwife could come with them. But, you know, their midwife could come with them. But at that point, they become labor support and nothing more. So, um, yeah, we're talking about I mean, some think, big system changes here <laughs> to accommodate right, that. No, but I, we, think, I think a good, um, you know, if I were designing a system mm-hmm. to um, provide better care because we know that we are failing at providing good care to women in the U.S., it would be, um, you know, I, a, a low-risk, um, you know, birth center type unit that's staffed by midwives. And then if people need to go to the hospital you know, they can stay with midwifery care. Um, and that's where, where, actually where we had our babies in um, Boston, on the North Shore of Boston. There was a freestanding birth center called the North Shore Birth Center. And it was staffed by, oh, it was like three to, maybe like five nurse midwives. But they also delivered at the hospital. And it was this little cottage across the street from the hospital, but it was a freestanding birth center. And they had privileges at the hospital. So... If you risked out for any reason or just wanted to be in the hospital, you could do that. So you could sort of choose. And with my first one, I had a long labor and transferred to the hospital and got an epidural and Pitocin. And um, I didn't have to switch providers. I had the same midwife stay with me. And I don't know how they managed it if I had somebody in the birth center and the hospital, but I think they had a small enough volume that they had one on and one back. And so the midwife just came with me to the hospital and that was really nice. Yeah. So, th- I mean, that's a sweet, and then what's happened to that birth center since then is that the hospital has bought it and they, there was a big deal, like, I don't know, like 15 years ago or something, there was a big thing on Facebook, save the North Shore birth center because they wanted to do an NST on all the people being admitted. 
and like that would go to a hospital and it was like and anyway and so they've changed it it's become a part of the hospital really yeah so it's probably still fine but it's not the same right anyway they, they, and that they, would be that would be an ideal situation that would meet people's needs and the other thing that um people in the hospital don't get the people in the community get in those those home visits in those first days mm -hmm. especially for new first-time moms they totally need that mm -hmm. and they you know if i were planning a, a system what i would do is there would be there would be home visits in the first mm -hmm. like days home um and you know people would have doulas and um and we would you know do a better job of supporting physiologic birth and physiologic birth. wow I so agree with you on what an ideal practice that could be. It's wonderful to have those components, especially as you have mentioned, the home visits and the continuity of care in those initial days can make such a difference. Now that's ideal, but let's talk about what is going on at Northwest yeah. Hospital. Well, lots of good things. Um, so I don't know if I mentioned, so I'm part of a group practice. There are six of us at um, Northwest. And what was Northwest Hospital is actually now UW Medical Center Northwest. So back in 2011, um, uh, UW Medical Center and Northwest Hospital kind of merged or had a partnership. I'm not sure exactly what the, what the legal definition was. But they started this um, partnership that since became a full merger. So we are actually one medical center with two campuses. So what formerly was UW Medical Center is now UW Medical Center Montlake. And what was Northwest Hospital is UW Medical Center Northwest. So um, <clears throat> and Northwest is a community hospital and UW Medical Center is a, you know, tertiary care teaching center. And so we're, you know, getting a lot of the resources of Northwest, uh, I'm sorry, of, of uh, UW Medical Center, but um, the, the model is to maintain the character of the community hospital um, of Northwest. So in terms of OB, what that looks like is Montlake is, um, not that they don't have high risk, but Montlake is really a high risk center where they see complicated OB situations from all around the, the whammy, they call it the, I think it's Wyoming, Alaska, Oregon, anyway. So, and they also have low risk stuff there and they have midwives there as well. Um, but Northwest is really more of a, a low risk um, birth site. So Montlake has a level three nursery, we have a level two nursery. And um, I'm not sure how the volume varies actually, but the, um, Let's see, so I'm part of a practice of seven midwives, and I love my partners. That's probably my favorite part of my job next to my patients is my partners. Uh, we've got a great group of midwives, and um, I was actually part of hiring the last three, three of them, so I think we've got a great team. Um, and there are seven of us because some are part-time and some of us are full-time. And so, um, the way it works is we're a group practice, so like most hospital midwife groups, we share our patients. And when people come to us, we'd like you to meet all the midwives through your pregnancy. Um, we don't really police that. We let people decide how they want to do it. And occasionally there are people who just want to see one midwife or mostly see one midwife, and sometimes for certain needs that works. And so we, we kind of let it, let it evolve organically. We don't do meeting, we used to do meet and greet visits before COVID. Now we're doing um, phone meeting. So people can come and see us for a, what we call a new OB visit. So your first prenatal visit at any time. They could be transferring from another practice. They could be newly pregnant. And, um, but, uh, so if people want what's called a meet and greet visit where they're just checking us out, we do that by phone now. So some people need that and some people don't. I'd say a lot of people come to us by word of mouth, and um, it's a standard prenatal care. So, you know, people typically come early in pregnancy. 
we do offer dating and viability ultrasounds in our clinic. Um, we've got all but one of the midwives at this point is uh, trained up on that and doing the first trimester ultrasound. And um, so a lot of people uh, want that when they come in. And the first visit is usually maybe like an hour and a half you're there. We do a lot. Of, we do a full health history uh, meet with our nurse and go over a bunch of information. Meet with the midwife. And we we really try to get to know you. And we um, may or may not do a full physical exam that first visit. Sometimes that happens at the second visit because there's just a lot going on. It sort of sort of depends on where people are at and what they need. Um, so they're getting to know us. We're getting to know them. And we recommend they do their first few visits with the same midwife to kind of get connected and get, you know, while we're gathering information and getting their whole story engaged now to their partner and their family. Um, and then, you know, through the pregnancy, you know, most pregnancies will have like 12 visits or more. So you have a chance to meet all the midwives. Um, <clears throat> so let's see. And then we share a call, obviously. So there's always one of the seven of us on call, which means that we're either at the hospital or we're, if we live close enough for it, we may be at home if no one's in labor at night. But when people go into labor, they're going to have one of the midwives there. And um, so this we're coming up on our 10-year anniversary, actually, Roxanne, because we, we moved here. This group came from the Montlake location in 2011. Congratulations. So we that is awesome. Yes. I know we were planning a celebration, and there was – we were working with the um, publicity department, and we were planning on maybe having an outdoor thing with a tent and have, just having some kind of celebration of our 10-year. And with COVID, it was like initially, yeah, we could do like an outdoor thing with a tent if people wore masks. And now, you know, things are changing rapidly, and it's like, no, that's not a good idea. So mm. we're going to have an online celebration. <laughs> So they're uh, they're making us like a what's called a kudos board. I've never heard of this. It's a, a kudos board is like a an online site where you can share pictures or videos and and just you know share. Hopefully we're hoping people share pictures of their kiddos who've um who've we caught through the years. So that'll be fun. So the practice actually started probably I don't know maybe like 15 years before that. Not sure exactly, but at Montlake. So it was initially Cindy Rogers and Bonnie Bernstein were the two midwives who started the practice at the UW Medical Center, which is now UW Medical Center in Montlake. And then in 2011, when they joined with Northwest, um, they thought, well, we're going to move the midwife group here because they didn't have midwives at that time at Northwest, although they had in the past had midwives. I think it had been several years since there had been nurse midwives delivering at that hospital. So it kind of made a good sense, a good fit. It was a, it was a low risk unit, and it made sense to um, move the midwife group there. And um, then the plan was to then add midwives back to Montlake, and they have done that. I don't remember exactly. Maybe like five years ago, they hired the first nurse midwife at Montlake. So they started a whole new practice there that's pretty vibrant and is growing pretty fast. So Heather Ranney is the lead midwife there. And they are in the clinic that's in the hospital building. I think they also have a midwife in Ravenna, and they also have a midwife at um, South Lake Union, which is this brand new, sort of newish campus that UW has. So, um, so they have midwives in different places, which is great. So um, it's, but that's a separate practice group. So they, right. they share their call, and we share our call. That's interesting so, that there isn't a um, – you're not combined in that way. Do you find that there's a different well, – a different – they are different Culture? sites. Uh -huh. So there was talk about having us be a combined practice, and we do, you know, we do talk a lot, and um, and we consider that, you know, the OB unit is uh, at Montlake and Northwest are definitely um, very well coordinated, and they do consider it one department now that we're one hospital, um, but they are different sites <laughs> because, um, you know, UW is, uh, is, has a, is a teaching hospital, so they have a a team of residents at all times and they have like I said the level three NICU so the nice thing for us is like so if we had a, it's pretty rare but if we had a patient who had a high-risk condition like say they've got severe preeclampsia at 28 weeks or something and are, they may have to deliver um, that's a pretty rare thing but we can easily transfer them to Montlake and they'd get care there 
And if their baby's born and needs a level three NICU, the baby doesn't have to move, and the mom and the baby can be in the same place. Mm. Um, so that's nice. And then we've always had access to, you know, we're, we've always been part of the UW um, department. So we've always had access to the high-risk specialist MFMs for consults and for us and for our patients. So that's really nice for us as a low-risk site, low-risk practice, but we have ready access to, you know, the best of medical advice. Um, so that's pretty nice. Um, let's see, what else can I tell you? Well, tell me, is there, um, I mean, it, there is that you share these amazing resources. Is there anything that's a little distinguishing about Northwest that of being a little bit more part of its distinct, distinctive culture that you would say? Yeah, I definitely think um, the, the Northwest, the labor unit at Northwest, it's called the Childbirth Center, or we, we say CBC for short, um, has always been um, uh, committed to physiologic birth, and I would say more so than ever. It's, it's um, you know, we definitely value vaginal birth, and I would say that's not just the midwives, it's the OBs as well. Um, you know, we have a low C-section rate, which is appropriate to our low-risk population, but not every hospital with a low-risk population has a low C-section rate, as you probably know. Um, so, um, and then there's something called the NTSV C-section rate, which is a, a public health thing you've probably heard of, but maybe the public hasn't heard of. NTSV stands for non, a singleton vertex, singleton nulliparous vertex, so NTSV, nulliparous term singleton vertex. So it means somebody having their first baby, the baby's head down, and the baby's not premature. Um, and those are people that are considered lower risk and should have a lower C-section rate. So we track that as well. And we have a, we have a pretty low NTSV C-section rate as well. Um, and the hospital does a lot of VBAC and is uh, very supportive of VBAC. And we're just starting to do VBAC. So that's exciting for us. That's uh, um, something that we've been wanting to do since we moved, since the practice moved there. Mm -hmm. And initially, it was just it was a it was slightly different. It was um, you know there are a lot of small private uh, practice groups. Some of them like one or two docs that delivered there. And I was a new grad midwife when we first came there, and. You know, we always had to have a designated who is your OB go-to if you needed help. Say your patient needs a C-section or you have something coming up, you need an OB. And, um, you know, one day it might be somebody from this practice and then another day it might be somebody from that practice. So um, it was more of a community hospital model mm -hmm. with, a, you know, several small practice groups delivering there. And then it has shifted over time where it's, it's really much more there's an OB group and uh, that does... Um, most of the births, and then the midwives do a good number of births as well. So there's more of a team feeling. Mm -hmm. um, the OB who's on call is, tends to be there in the daytime. They're not like at clinic and trying to manage this. So there is an OB who's sort of in charge of the unit at any time. So it feels much more organized, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that's – it's just a different model. So it's, it's – it, so it's moved from that where, and then for the last several years, you know, we've had some permanency and uh, with the OB team there, and we've got a good relationship with them. Um, they've been doing um, VBACs for quite some time, and so it just kind of feels feels like the appropriate time um, that we're starting to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, one of the things we talked about um, in coming up with our plan for our VBACs is, um, you know, do our patients need to have a visit with an OB during the pregnancy? And we're like, well, they don't really need that. And the OB is like, well, I don't really need that because you can counsel them without VBAC. Um, but they decided that, uh, the docs decided they wanted the chance to meet our patients because they would like them to know that they're on the same page, that they support us, that they're available as needed, and so it would just be an easier transition if they needed OB care. So I think that's kind of nice. Um, and it's not a, you know, you need to see the OB because, you know, you have to see the OB because you're having to be back. It's, they'd like to meet you. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so we're excited about that. 
Because, well, that is you know, great. Just that 10 is years great. in, but that's happening. Yeah, and it's been it's been a you know a slow moving project of ours, and we're really happy that it's uh, that the pieces have come together. I'm and, happy to hear um, about your commitment, and uh, there's such a strong commitment to physiologic birth, so or to being able to have a vaginal birth. So what what does that look like? How does that look different than in other places? What 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 actually makes that successful? Um. I mean, it's hard to say, but I think um, it's partly the nursing staff and it's partly the uh, the providers. Um, you know, I talk to people who practice in places, you know, generally outside, you know, different parts of the country where there's just a very different view of labor management. And, you know, we are different. The, the midwife model of care is, is different from OB care, but we don't disagree on the basics of how to safely care for people. So there's there's a sense of patience if labor takes longer, if people aren't in active labor yet. Um, you know, it's okay if somebody, if the baby's okay and they're not in active labor to give them some support, send them home. Um, and that's maybe better than admitting them too early and having more interventions. So there's not that, there's not often that, there's not a lot of disagreement as to how that, you know, what's, what are the goals? Mm -hmm. And um, so I think just being being patient in labor and um, making sure you've really done all you can to safely have a vaginal birth before you just call it. Um, so, you know, like inductions can take longer. And so there's, there's just a little more sense of patience, I'd say, than some places. That it's okay if it takes longer to get people into labor as long as the mom and the baby are doing okay. So I think that culture helps. And then I'd say the nurses are a big part of it because, um, and I think it matters that we see, you know, we probably just have a lot of, we, we have a lot of people who want to be unmedicated or interested in natural childbirth. And people can certainly come to us who are not at all interested in natural childbirth. And we do have people who are, you know, they're, they're six weeks pregnant. They're like, I'm planning an epidural. Um, but we have a lot of people who low intervention and, and so I think our nurses are used to taking care of people who are unmedicated. There are some hospitals where 90%, 95% of people are getting epidurals. And I don't know exactly what it is in our hospital. It's probably around 60%. Um, so there's a good number of people who are not getting epidurals. And so our nurses are used to people who are, um, you know, moving around and they're not hooked to an IV and they're getting in the tub and they're eating and drinking and doing different positions. And a lot of our nurses have done... Um, uh, spinning babies training. Oh, nice. Which I myself have not done. I mean, I've read about it, but I have not done training. But my, you know, the nurses, people will come in, and sometimes the nurse will say, you know, I felt her belly, and I think she's OP, and so I'm going to do these positioning things. We're going to do some sideline release, and then we're going to do this, you know, mild mm -hmm. circuit. And so um, they're doing some of the stuff that doulas do to encourage labor progress and optimal positioning of babies, and they're aware of that. So. Um, so it's really nice. That is excellent. Um, and the, uh, what's that? I said that is excellent. Yeah, yeah, it is for sure. Um, and it's a hard time for nursing. I mean, there's a, you know, I, I just read in the paper a couple of days ago a, a survey of nurses in Washington State, and, you know, it's been a stressful year and a half for people in healthcare. And what this survey was saying that there are a lot of people leaving nursing or leaving hospital nursing, and so, you know, it's stressful. And, um, you know, it's harder to find nurses when we fill positions. So we really value our nurses. So um, from the perspective... I, oh, I, we have a... What's that? From the perspective of the uh, midwives, how, is there a portion of them that choose to be present during labors? Or is it kind of a typical model of the, the midwife appears when, they, when the baby's about to be born? Uh, no, we don't like to, we like to labor safe. We don't, mm -hmm. um, others are, we don't. So our, our volume is such that we're, we're doing maybe like 25 to 30 births a month right now, which is more than we have actually. We've probably grown some in the last year. Um, but we typically don't have more than one person in labor at a time. And sometimes we do have two people in labor that are, you know, but they're not usually at the same moment. So, um, 
the culture of our group is definitely that we like to do labor support and that we don't consider that a nurse's job or the doula's job, that it's kind of a team effort. So we do like to be at the bedside a lot. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely not a just come in because we're to catch the baby. Well, that makes a big difference in my view. That makes a big difference on the ability to su successfully support. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we don't do a lot of vaginal exams in labor. And part of that is because we're evaluating the patients by being there. You know, it's not, you don't just need like how dilated and how spaced are they. If you're there at the bedside and you're with them and you're seeing, you know, it's pretty obvious when people are progressing usually. Um, so it's that kind of that kind of practice um, where, where there's, you know, we're, we're assessing people in various ways and you really can't, I don't know, you can't, I don't think you can really, it, I mean, you can, but it's not, I think, it's, I don't mean to be critical, but it's not midwifery care if you're just kind of like coming in, checking someone, then leaving, coming back. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. I think there's a lot to um, assessing what's happening. <clears throat> And it's funny because, like, things will happen where, like, we have a report that we give where the whole team comes, you know, like the charge nurse and the doc and the midwife and the anesthesia and the, and the we all get together and do a report on the floor. And, you know, I've got somebody who's a multip who's laboring, and I'm like, I can't come right now. And they're like, well, the baby's not coming out. You know, you just like this sense of, like, you have to be there when the baby's coming out. I'm like, no, I have to be there now. <laughs> <laughs> like, I like I that. can't leave someone like that. That's um, so important. You know, and that's okay. Are yeah. there is there anything in play to help facilitate community midwives being able to transfer to uh, to uh, to Northwest? No, to Northwest? Yes. Yeah, we have. Um, there's a program called Smooth Transitions, which is um, I believe it's in the part of Washington State Hospital Association at this point, and um, that's just a a program that facilitates communication and meetings between community midwives and the hospital where they the hospitals where they transfer the, the providers and the nurses and so we have regular meetings with smooth transitions actually one of my partners deborah blue is on that committee so i don't typically attend the meetings these days but um but they just talk about how things are going and communication and um we have a sort of set um set of questions that the charge nurse will ask um, transfer just to make sure it's appropriate for our hospital and um, and a lot of patients will transfer to the midwives uh, to the to, um, from a community birth midwife and there are situations where they, they you know they probably need an OB like if they have a second stage arrest where they're already pushing the baby's not coming out um, those are situations where we would probably be better for them to see the OB um, but um, but if people are like, you know, they're ruptured for a while and they're not going into labor and they need medication to help them get into labor or they're over their due date a couple weeks and need to be admitted for induction of labor or sometimes people develop high blood pressure and need to be transferred to the hospital. So those are situations where we can take those patients. And, um, and actually, the last it's not a huge number, but the last I looked at the data, there's a decent, you know, there's a... Very few of them end up being C-sections that transfer to us, so that's good. That is excellent. Um, that is excellent. Yeah. Wow. So, and I think it's really nice for um, for patients who are coming to the hospital, and that's you know that's a big transition and change in their plan and having to go to a whole new team, just to sort of know you know you're you're, you're still seeing a midwife, you know we're still gonna support the parts of your um, birth plan that we can. But while also making clear that, you know, the reason why you're coming in is because you need some intervention. Correct. So, right. Um, right. But I think it makes it a little easier transition for people. So for sure. And that's what it's called Smooth Transitions is that organization. And and I'd say compared to places in the country and times, I mean we I you know, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty easy transition. Issue. Yeah. And it's one of those yeah. like, you know, if I ran the world we maybe, you know, or at least if I ran the healthcare system in the country, you know, we have a we have a coordinated healthcare system. And some
Now I have a friend who always says, you know, the perfect the perfect combination is CNMs and MFMs. You don't really need. That's right. That's what I always said. <laughs> so we do have OBs that we that we that we we like and we trust and that we. But there are a lot of things that we that people need an MFM for, and so um, it's nice to be in a system where that's really easy to do. And um, and even because I was a nurse there, like some of the some of the MFMs were in training when I was there and stayed there. And so sometimes I'm talking to people I've like known for years and it's just really easy to get a good consult and they know me and I know them. And so I feel like we can sort of meet any needs people have. Now, rarely do people need to deliver at Montlake, but you know, things can come up where, you know, I don't know. I think last time I had that happen was like somebody who had severe preeclampsia at 28 weeks. Like that's a really rare thing, but you know, they were able to, you know, they were able to, to, to take that, take that patient. And, you know, they would take somebody outside too, but it's just nice that they're, you know, it's, it's, it's still in our system that we can sort of like meet any needs. Mm -hmm. um, and um, one thing we didn't have when I started there, we have now is we have 24 seven Neo coverage and they're mostly nurse practitioners and they're great. Um, so, you know, we're a relatively small hospital, but you know, we have 24 seven, OB and OB anesthesia and NEO. Um, so even though we're kind of a smallish community hospital, we don't have to call people in from outside if you need something. And I love our new labor units. We have these new labor rooms that are like big and roomy and we have these like big labor tubs um, and we got a sliding door so that, so that the bathroom is open to the rest of the laboring space in the room that we, got, we asked for a dimmer switch in the bathrooms. So we have a dimmer switch and these big tubs, like, you know, dads can get in. And I've had like pretty big sized people get in there with their partner. Um, so that's really cool. Mm -hmm. And, and then we have, you have to see what our, what we used to have. People used to like our hospital despite our rooms because we had <laughs> tight space and now we have all this laboring space. And one of the things we got were those, um, you know those fat mats that they use mm -hmm. in gym class for yeah, gymnastics? Yeah, they can be right on the ground. One of those, so you yeah. can just kind of lay that on the ground. It's washable, mm -hmm. and you can just do whatever. You don't have to be in the bed. Right. Um, we've got a bar on the wall. You have one of those bars. Mm -hmm. It's like can hold 500 pounds. You can kind of hang off of or put a cloth on or something. And so, um, you know, we got to have say into the design of the unit. Mm -hmm. So Wonderful. Um, that's pretty cool. Oh, and the last thing that's going up is the artwork. So the the... The labor rooms are mostly white, like there's like a little white theme and things are light colored. And then there's just this one place where we're gonna put up these mandalas that are different colors. And um, they're designing these out of cloth. They're gonna be hung up there. So we're gonna have some like focal point there, which will be cool. That sounds beautiful. Yeah, so the space is great. And, um, and it's also, I mean, that's the stuff you see that's nice. But the other thing that's nice is that the labor rooms are all Kind of near each other and near the ORs, and there's a great team space in the middle, so it's very easy to get help when you need it and to have good communication. And the docs, the nurses, and the midwives all kind of like are in the same space together. So it's it's laid out well as a working space, which is something that the patients don't notice, but that we notice. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's a good. It's a good deal. And then when the, when it's finally finished, we're going to have private rooms in the nursery. So if your baby has to be in the nursery, you're going to have a private room where you can sleep and be there with your baby, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. So um, we didn't have that before the renovations. And I would say the main, a big part of an experience in a hospital is the nurses. Mm -hmm. And um, they have a lot of say on the culture. And um, so we have nurses who are very comfortable with, unmedicated birth they see a lot of unmedicated birth and you know, they're comfortable with people just being in different positions and delivering out of the bed and um you know i uh we're not doing water birth yet i'd like us to get there but um but we do have these nice labor tubs and you know you can stay in there until the baby's about to come out so i think it makes a big difference to have a nursing staff that is that is comfortable with physiologic birth um so and then I'd say our docs too. I mean, we've got like, you know, Allie Lewis, who is, you know, everybody knows is this very midwife friendly doc. Um, you know, she's, she and Anna Panagetti and 
Joy Z. I mean, we have some some dogs who are very not only good at what they do, but very supportive of midwifery, supportive of physiologic birth. I mean, I, you know, if, if somebody needs a version, I know that somebody who's got a really good success rate version is going to do their version. So mm -hmm. it is nice. It is um, nice. Yeah. And they're committed to vaginal birth. Our website isn't great, but basically the midwife, if you, you know, if you just Google uh, UW Northwest midwives, you know, you may, you may meet a midwife student. We usually have one or two at a time. And generally they're there for a while. So you get the chance to meet them in the clinic and then you may see them at the hospital. We always let people decline a student if they want to, but most people don't because they, they meet our students and then they like having an extra midwife for them. We're committed to training up the next, the next generation. It's been wonderful to connect with you. Who are you doing, Roxanne? You're welcome. Mm -hmm.